Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. How now, brown cow? How how now, brown cow? U- unique New York. Unique New York. Unique New York. The arsonist has oddly shaped feet. Hmm? Oh. Well, good news, true crime addicts. We've survived another week. It's Friday, March 4th, 2022. And these are the top true crime stories from around the world. These stories were hard to come by this week. I had to do some digging. Why? Because all the news sites are only talking about this war in Ukraine. What do you think is going to happen there? Uh, nothing good. This is very scary. I've stocked up on supplies here in Akron, Ohio. I think we're pretty safe here. Uh, but I bought seed packets. Seed pack in case anything gets really bad. You know, I have no idea how to how to like harvest plants. So maybe they're just single use. I don't know if I grow tomato seeds from these packets I got from Petites. Uh, am I going to get seeds from them that can turn into other tomatoes, or is that is that is that somebody send me an email and tell me how to do this? Because I I don't know. Um. But crime did not take a vacation for this war, and there were some uh, odd things that happened this week in the world of true crime that I want to share with you. Here are the top stories. Uh, This one involves a guy that got in way over his head and just kept on digging. Um, Now, when I was a kid, you know, like many kids of the 80s, you know, we were latchkey kids. There wasn't a lot of supervision. I lived out in the country. And so sometimes at night I would sneak out of the house, I'd get on my 10-speed bike, and I'd ride over to the next town and hang out with my friends, play D&D or whatever. We used to 
climb up on top of those oil wells and watch shooting stars and smoke some pot. And then I get back on my, my bike and ride home. Now, one night, my my old man caught me coming in. And, uh, and I lied. I said, I just, I heard something outside. I went out to check. Everything's fine. I didn't want to wake anybody up. And he taught me an important lesson. He, he had this bit of advice that was like, don't compound your troubles. That was the motto. Don't compound your troubles. If you've gotten caught doing something wrong, don't compound it by, by doing something else that's wrong or lying. Don't lie on top of it because you're already, <laughs> you're already in hot water. Don't make it worse by that point. Well, Anthony Spivey, of North Carolina could have used some of that advice. Anthony Spivey was arrested last Thursday after staging his own suicide to avoid 70 felonies he's accused of committing while serving as the chief of police in Chadbourne, North Carolina. That's a small town in the southern part of North Carolina. Population 1,800 people. There's a lot to unpack here. This is a really odd case. Stay with me. So Spivey is 36 years old, and he served as chief of police in Chadbourne since 2018 until about a year ago when he was suspended after a misconduct investigation by the North Carolina State Bureau of Investigations. They uncovered a web of crime with Spivey right in the center. He was charged with 70 felonies, including embezzlement and opioid trafficking. He's alleged to have repeatedly raided the evidence room at the police department, stealing all the drugs and money and firearms and reselling some of it. He also is alleged to have stolen $8,000 that had been raised for a family of a leukemia patient. He was released on bond last September, and then this just a couple months ago in January, he was arrested again, this time for larceny, for stealing catalytic, catalytic converters from a body shop. Now, if you're stealing catalytic, catalytic converters, you are in dire straits. Don't do drugs, kids. Don't do drugs. Marijuana is an herb. But don't do drugs. Spivey uh, it was due in court February 21st, but he never showed up. Instead, the day before that court date, he borrowed a neighbor's truck to haul a boat to the river. He said, yeah, I want to go boating before I'm put away forever. He left a note in the truck saying he was going to commit suicide. Now, police found the boat empty. There's a 22 uh, rifle, um, 22 caliber. That's that's a practice rifle. You're not going to do much damage with a 22 unless you stick it in your mouth, which you know there's no sign of that. So they found this 22 caliber rifle inside the boat, and it had a discharged round. It sure was made to look like a suicide. It certainly didn't look good. The state then spent about $64,000 trying to find Spivey. They uh, 
sent in helicopters and boats, dive team. All the police knew for sure that was was that uh, Spivey was a liar. He lied about everything before he got caught and after he got caught. He tried to get out of a court date earlier this this past year by faking COVID. Well, last Thursday, police found Spivey hiding in a creek near an apartment complex in Loris, South Carolina. Press conference after his arrest was held, and the DA said, uh, and I like this, news of Mr. Spivey's death has been greatly exaggerated. They got their man, and he's sure, you know, uh, obviously has an issue, probably an addiction issue here, given these charges. Maybe he could have argued for, you know, early release or something. All that's out the window because he compounded his troubles. Don't compound your troubles. Story number two. This is uh, this is kind of a sad one. Trigger warning it involves kids. I try to stay away from these, but this is um, this is odd. You know, I'm a I'm about to turn 44 at the end of this month, and um, I seem to be at that age where a small percentage of my peers are going crazy. It seems like between the ages of 35 and 45 seems to be the trouble spot. It started happening around 35. I noticed a couple people I knew, it's about the time they got sucked into like multi-level marketing programs and you know would reach out to people or you know deeply all of a sudden deeply into religion um or tupperware you know they'd get obsessive about these things and and a lot of them got you know i'm from the country so a lot of them got pulled into the whole QAnon, trump stuff um it was sad to see um but well, here we have Matthew Coleman. Um, he lived in Santa Barbara. He was a surf instructor. Seemed like a really cool guy. And then all of a sudden he started acting very strangely. Leading up to the time where, um, last August, he killed his two young children in Mexico. This... uh began when Coleman and his family were packing for a family vacation on August 7, 2021. And all of a sudden, Coleman put the kids in the car and took off, leaving his wife behind. Their son, Kaleo, was two years old. Their daughter, Roxy, was just 10 months. Coleman drove from Santa Barbara into across um, the border into Mexico and somehow it seems like he was able to convince his wife that, you know, things were okay. You know, he was just having a hard time, but he was going to take the kids on a little vacation. She wasn't freaking out yet for some reason. I don't, she's totally blameless, by the way. Nobody saw what was coming here. A couple days after he arrived in Mexico with the kids, he killed them both with a spear fishing gun. Then he was arrested when he tried to cross back into the United States. Uh, People Magazine just got a hold of some court documents that were filed last month, and uh, they provide some interesting details into Coleman's motives. And it's it's just it's the stuff of nightmares. It's insane. According to an affidavit from an FBI agent, 
Coleman said that after he'd gone to Mexico, he'd laid down in bed. He started seeing pieces of reality being decoded, like on the Matrix. He came to believe that, in fact, he was Neo, that he was the chosen one. He believed that his wife was a reptilian, shape-shifting alien, and that she'd passed some, some of her DNA into her children. Since the kids would grow up and turn into monsters, he decided to kill them to save the world. Time travel was involved. The filings also included text messages that he sent the morning of the murders. This is a text message he sent to his wife. Hi, babe. Miss you too. Things have been really rough, but starting to get some clarity. Still confused on a lot of things, though, and processing through them. So many crazy thoughts going through my head right now. Hard to explain. Looking back, Coleman's friends and family can trace his erratic behavior to a couple months before these murders, when he quickly became obsessed with online conspiracy theories and this delusional world of QAnon specifically. You know, it's, he, he became a firm believer that Trump was trying to expose um, these liberal elites who were killing babies and drinking their blood. Uh, it's amazing how many people are into that into that delusion, and and it led to that that terrible crime. It seems like he's come to his senses inside the prison. He's asking for for forgiveness, and he's showing remorse. Sad story. Watch your loved ones, and if you happen to think that they might need some help, I guarantee you, just having that thought means that they should have gotten help a couple weeks ago. So, um, please look out for that. Well, uh, the Marilyn Manson sexual assault allegations just got a whole lot more complicated. The songwriter and provocateur is currently under investigation after several women came forward last year alleging sexual sexual harassment and assault. At the forefront of these allegations is the actor Evan Rachel Wood. I know her from uh, Westworld, but she's been in a ton of movies and TV shows. She's great. Um... Evan Rachel Wood was his off-and-on-again girlfriend for a little bit of time. She talks about the alleged abuse in a documentary that's scheduled to premiere on HBO later this month called Phoenix Rising, which is about Evan Rachel Wood's uh, life and career. She alleges that uh, Marilyn Manson plied her with absinthe. I think this this was around 2007. And penetrated her for real in what was supposed to be a simulated sex scene for his single heart-shaped glasses. That would be rape. Uh, on Wednesday, Manson filed a lawsuit against Evan Rachel Wood just, just, just a couple days ago. And inside his lawsuit, now this is his side of the story, but he's alleging some shocking allegations of, of his own. This is according to The Guardian and Deadline.com, which has reviewed the documents. Manson is claiming that Evan Rachel Wood and a friend of hers forged a fictitious letter from an FBI agent to make it look like he was under a criminal investigation when he was not. He claims they provided a checklist of allegations they wanted other women to accuse him of. He said, friends tried to obtain, uh, or this is Evan Rachel Wood's friend, tried to obtain his computer login info to create a fake email address to frame him for sending pornography 
online. Manson's ex-wife, who he was married to for seven years, has gone on record saying she never experienced such behavior. Former girlfriend Rose McGowan, the actress, also says he was not abusive. So what to believe and, and who to believe? Um, that's for the courts and the jury to decide, not for us to decide as armchair sleuths, but it is a look into the complications that arise in these these allegations and these lawsuits. So um, hopefully the truth will come out, whatever it is. Hey, uh, we'll be back in two and two with some cold case updates, some news in the world of genetic genealogy, and another weird story I found on Reddit. Be right back. And welcome back to... Heart to Heart, starring Robert Wagner and Stephanie Powers. Got a couple cold case updates for you here. I told you a couple weeks ago, I think Ghislaine uh, uh, Maxwell, Ghislaine, I think she's going to go free. And she's going to have to be retried due to a mistake in the jury selection process. This is just my opinion, just my prediction. I'm, I'm not much of a prognosticator, but I think it might happen. Uh, let's take a closer look uh, at some of the background. Ghislaine, as you know, was Jeffrey Epstein's uh, good friend and confidant and girlfriend. And she's uh, been found guilty of procuring girls for his sexcapades, trafficking women, trafficking girls for sex. She's going to go away for a long time. People are hoping she rolls on her client list. So it's a big case. Now, during the trial, during the jury selection process, a juror known as Juror 50 is accused of lying when asked if he had a history of sex abuse. Well, it turns out he was allegedly abused, and he shared that information with the other jury members when they were deliberating Ghislaine's fate, even going so far as to suggest to the media that his story had an impact on the other jurors. There'll be a hearing this coming Tuesday regarding this mess. And the man, this juror 50, has already said he'll plead the fifth, meaning he's not going to answer any questions. A deal is currently in the works that may provide the juror immunity in exchange for his testimony, according to CNN. A U.S. District Court judge has already denied a new trial request by Ghislaine's attorneys, but they can appeal to a higher court. Now, the reason I think she's going to get out is a very similar issue came up, came around in a court case out of Washington. This was the first trial, first case that went to trial involving genetic genealogy. Very similar situation. There was a juror who was not forthcoming, they said, uh, in the selection process and was biased against the defendant, and that was tossed. And now he's going to be retried. So it's it's just recently happened, the same exact thing. And I think it's going to be enough. I think they're going to have to retry her. So look for that. I hope I'm wrong, by the way. Um, former Lou, <coughs> Louisville, Louisville, as they say, Louisville detective Brett Hankison was found not guilty just yesterday in the Breonna Taylor murder. Hankison was one of the officers that forced entry into Breonna's home while searching for a man who didn't actually live there. In the confusion that followed, Brianna was shot and killed. This became a, a big case for Black Lives Matters movement. 
and uh, it actually happened on March 13th, 2020. So it was kind of not as popular as George Floyd and some of the other cases because, you know, that's kind of when the pandemic started here in the United States. The Louisville Police Department fired Hankison for blindly firing 10 shots through the patio door of Brianna's apartment. Hankison was then charged not with, like, attempted murder or anything like that. He was charged with wanton endangerment. And he was found not guilty just yesterday. In response, the attorney for Brianna's family, attorney Sam Aguiar, said, quote, The jury has told the world that officers can shoot blindly through doors and windows without it being criminal. The verdict today means that even if Hankison would have killed all three people in the apartment, it would not have been a crime. End quote. And so it goes. Um, some news in genetic genealogy. Of course, every week this happens. Now, more and more cases. This week, kudos to David Middleman, my buddy David, and his team at Authorum Labs who solved another case. According to the website DNA Solves, in 1988, a hunter found what he thought might be a human skeleton while scouting for potential hunting locations. The man initially left the skeleton remains alone, speculating that the remains might have belonged to an animal. However, the hunter returned, collected the remains later, and brought them into a dentist for analysis. Why a dentist? Was it just the teeth or something? Initially, the remains were identified as belonging to a female, but later analysis revealed the remains belonged to an older male. I hope he brought the dentist like an, like a femur or something, and the dentist was like, "I'm not really that kind of doctor. That's that's not I, that's not what I do." But anyways, once the remains were identified as human, the Montgomery County Sheriff's Office was contacted to investigate the matter, returning to the location where the skeletons were. Uh, was initially found. Investigators found more bones, as well as a pair of pants and a shoe. Although a cause of death for the unidentified man was not clear, investigators were able to estimate um, his time of death as four years prior. In 2009, the lab extracted DNA from the skeletal remains and developed a DNA profile that was searched in CODIS. No hits were found. Of course not. In September 2021, the Montgomery County Sheriff's Office partnered with Othram Labs to use advanced DNA testing to produce new leads. Scientists at Othram used forensic-grade genome sequencing to build a comprehensive DNA profile from the skeletal remains of the unknown man. Once the profile was built, they did their magic and led them to potential family members of the unknown man. The investigative leads that came from genetic research were sent back to the sheriff's office so they could investigate further. They tracked it down to a specific family and confirmed the identity of the unknown man as one Charles Wayne Dodd. Charles was thought to be from Dallas, Texas, and he was reported missing, last seen in August 1985, just three years before the remains were found, about 200 miles south of Dallas. Charles would have been 74 years old at the time of his death, and they believe it's possible he was taken against his will. Now that he's been found, an investigation into the circumstances of his death begins. So, you know, I like to go diving into the Reddit 
subs, the subreddits. And you know, my favorite is the sub Unresolved Mysteries. Sometimes you get some some weird old mysteries you've never heard about. This week was no exception. This was a story posted by user Breach Tones, who wants to bring new attention to a case out of Madison, Wisconsin. Here's the facts. On September 3rd, 1989, the owners of Good and Loud Music, which is on University Avenue in Madison, Wisconsin, they went down to the basement of their store to do some repairs. They were checking out their boiler. They removed part of it. They noticed water leaking from a flue onto the floor. They shined a light into the bottom of the chimney and were surprised to see a human skull. Police swiftly arrived on the scene. The victim was a white male with four-inch long brown hair. He was young, maybe 18, 35 years old at the, at the most. Um, he was short, about five foot five. 5'7", with skinny, thin build, thin enough to squeeze down the 11.75-inch diameter chimney, though there's some debate about whether that happened before or after he was dead. Now, here's the interesting part. This guy was uh, wearing a dress. He was found in a sleeveless, paisley print dress with matching belt, long-sleeve button-up shirt, blouse, perhaps with Oxford-type cloth, one pair of socks on his feet. He was carrying another pair. He had low-heeled pointed shoes, a pocket comb, and a German Iron Cross medallion. He was cross-dressing uh, in uh, the late 80s in Madison, Wisconsin. The building at the time, oh, back then, you know, before they found him, the building had been a pastry cart, like a bakery. It had been a Christian bookstore called the Bread Shop. But then it was abandoned between December 1988 and April 1989. That might be the important bit there. Completely empty and vacant. Then it became good and loud music. And then they find the human skull later on. Um, now, cause of death has never been determined. It could be a, a homicide or investigators think maybe a robbery gone wrong. Now, this Redditor thinks that uh, they believe it was murder due to the unidentified subject having his pelvis severely fractured in two different places, almost as if someone was stomping on their groin. This is beginning to seem like a hate crime. So here's the theory from the Redditor. They say this individual was, kn was known as, they, they believe that this is the case, that it was a cross-dresser transvestite or transgender person. Madison uh, had a very large LGBTQ population dating back a long while. They believe a group of two or three guys intended to commit a hate crime and beat up this suspect and then threw him into the chimney. Um, panicking, they had the idea to hide him there. So uh, in order to hide evidence of the crime, Here's the good news. It's now a DNA Doe Project case, so genetic genealogy, I believe, is going to solve this one, and probably pretty quickly. Somewhere somebody is missing this young man, and will hopefully have some closure, or at least an answer in this case. If you have any information on this crime, by the way, if this makes any sense to you, please call the 
police in Madison, Wisconsin. Give them any info you might have. Uh, has everybody watched Pam and Tommy on Hulu yet? Well, Pamela Anderson herself is ready to tell her side of the story about the stolen sex tape, the first sex tape to go viral early on in, in the internet when things were just possible for that to happen. In a baller move, Pam Anderson has taken it to Hulu's competitor Netflix, according to Variety. It's going to be a new documentary telling her side of the story. And she announced it on social media in kind of like a, uh, a poem. And, and it goes like this. My life, a thousand imperfections, a million misperceptions, wicked, wild, and lost, nothing to live up to. I can only surprise you, not a victim, but a survivor, and alive to tell the real story. Pamela Anderson's son, Brandon Lee, will serve as producer. And he's calling it The Real Story. That's going to be good. Let's check the charts on Chartable for the top true crime podcasts in the United States right now. Top two, dominated by Ashley Flowers, seems to be per the norm. Um, Crime Junkie on top, The Deck, her new show, number two. I want to call some attention to, I think this is like number 11 or 12, Scientology Fair Game. Uh, it's it's starting to rise in the ranks. If you haven't listened to it, this is what it's about. Actress Leah Remini and Mike Rinder, it's their podcast. They'll take you behind the facade and expose the terrible truth about Scientology's Fair Game doctrine. It's been used to for five decades to destroy anyone they label an enemy Former Scientologists, media, government officials, anyone they think is impeding their objectives, Lee and Mike are covering new ground, digging deeper than ever into the shocking documents, facts, and stories that will make you wonder how any of this is going on in America today. This fair game doctrine was started by L. Ron Hubbard himself, um, the, the head of Scientology, the made-up voodoo religion. And uh, it was specifically designed to attack journalists that were writing bad things, true things about Scientology. Now, yours truly has made that list. I am on that list. I am fair game. Um, A couple years ago, I was working for Scene. Scientology had just opened up a new center in Parma, on the west side of Cleveland, which is a weird place to put it, by the way. And I went undercover, posing as a potential Scientologist. I wanted to learn more. They brought me in. Uh, they showed me some... Uh, they they audited me. I went through auditing, where I had to tell an embarrassing childhood story, a, a, a bit of trauma that they made me relive over and over and over again until it became meaningless in my mind. Uh, I sat in a sauna for a while to get rid of my impurities, my bad thetans, or whatever it is. And uh, then I wrote about it, and they got really mad, and uh, they they put me on this this list. Um, so I'm very interested in in checking that out. Um, they do not like it when you ask them about Xenu, by the way. Hey, um, wrapping up here. 
If if you're into that TikTok, as the kids say, if you're into that TikTok, I'm on TikTok now. Just look me up, the real James Renner, or actually, it's just the James Renner. Somebody else had James Renner. Somebody took it. It's unfair. The James Renner. I'm at TikTok, so check it out. I have some reviews of true crime books up there right now. So if if you like reading about true crime, I I give you some reviews about the best books. Also, after the show, join me on Repod, the app, to discuss about the show. Uh, ask me any questions you want. And that's it, guys. That's another week. We made it. Uh, it's not World War III yet. The nukes have not started dropping. And that's cause to celebrate. And in the words of the incomparable Murray Saul, that means we got to, 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 get down. Damn it. True Crime This Week is a fearful symmetry production. Our theme music is Trash Town Boogie by Mr. Smith, used under a Creative Commons license for use in this show. All sources are listed in the liner notes at the end of this episode. If you like the cut of my jib, please check out my other podcast, Philosophy of Crime. Unless quoted directly from a source, all content should be considered the opinion of the host. That's me, James Renner. See you next week.